0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Diamond Talk. I believe this is episode four, Andrew, if I'm not mistaken.
1: That is correct. We've been going uh, out of weeks three, episode four. Four
0: weeks strong. And, you know, we've gotten some good shows in already, and I think we're in in store for another great one. It's going to be a little tricky because this guy has the same name as you, uh, so I don't want the listeners to get confused (laughs) out there. But uh, today, in the studio with us, we have Andrew who's Director, CEO, President, whatever whatever the case is, at Precision Sports Performance and Physical Therapy in East Hanover? Yes. On Route 10. Andrew, welcome to the show. What's going on? Thanks for having me. No problem, no problem. Andrew's been with us um, for quite some time now. He's been with us for about, I want to say, two months maybe, if that's if that's accurate. He's been working our um, programs here, doing a couple strength and agility classes, conditioning classes here in the back room with some of our younger athletes, and it seems to be going very well. Um, how, how are you liking it so far? so far
2: so good yeah. kind of good group of athletes kind of good start to kind of something to build on for the future right
0: well well determined kids Determined kids to get it done yeah yeah
2: okay. i mean that's the type of kids you usually see in this type of environment they're usually pretty motivated um they kind of they kind of get what it takes to uh, be successful we've been trying
1: right. to we've been trying to push that on we're the doing something recently. Recently. yeah, that's yeah. No, so, believe it or not we haven't had to filter the class for you so that's good to hear too <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Andrew, we want to dive in. There's a bunch of topics that come to mind when we heard that you were going to come on the show. But I think the main thing for us that we want our listeners to to reach today, um, first, obviously, tell us about PSP and what what it entails. Um, we want to talk about multi sport athletes, yeah or nay. What do you? We want your take on that. And then let's let's run through you know the perfect and the so uh, so to speak right stretches and lifts and conditioning for baseball players, ages nine year all the way to college and professional. Um, so let's, let's just dive right into, you know, PSP. What is
2: it, how did it start, and where are you now? All right, so PSP, we've been in business for just over five years now. Um, like we said before, we're in East Hanover, right on Route 10. Um, we're kind of a sports performance facility. We deal with kind of, you can think, every athlete you can think of. I have things from all the classics like football, basketball, baseball, team sports, but we deal with a lot of other athletes too, like um, a lot. I have a lot of figure skaters, taekwondo athletes, nice. wrestlers. Um, so you see the whole kind of spectrum. I, I honestly I like that as a coach that I get to work with a lot of different athletes because um, each type of athlete is kind of a different set of problems, different set of um, ways to approach training. Um, like we're going to talk some about specifically baseball, softball. But um, I like the fact that each type of athlete is kind of a unique problem to um, kind of approach of how to right. optimize performance. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, But like we kind of deal with our big kind of a philosophy for training is that we are kind of more of a individualized attention, individualized approach to training. Most places you're usually in groups of like larger numbers. You come there, you're doing the workout that's there for the day. Um, We like to take the approach of individualizing programs as much as possible, um, even when we do get into a larger group. So um, most of our athletes we see in like small group settings um, but even when we're in the larger group settings, we t- do try to find ways to individualize it towards that athlete's ability level, their specific needs, their specific goals, all that. Right. And now um, what's your favorite athlete or sport to work with? <laughs> um, I mean, sport. honestly, no pressure, I, l- no I really like the like kind of oddball sports. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I have a few athletes, like I mentioned Taekwondo. I have two different athletes who are very high level. One of the kids is uh, from number two in the world at oh. Poomsae taekwondo freestyle Jeez. taekwondo um so that's almost like the like you could say the show version of taekwondo where you're doing kind of a routine right but um again it's one of those weird sports where i when i started approaching it have to kind of go into it do some research figure out what are the physical characteristics that make you successful at that sport right. and then how do you want to approach that training uh, yeah. um additionally too like figure skaters is another one i've had a lot of them come through mm-hmm. um and i've through doing research, getting more involved in that sport too. I've done a lot of other stuff like combines for figure skaters, um, all that stuff. So again, I like the sports where I have to do a little bit of learning about the sport and then a learning how to approach the training for right, that. Right, That's a little bit, a
0: little bit of a of a of a tricky situation. Yeah, I like do. the little bit That's of a challenge. Right, right. Yeah, cool. <laughs> what, um, what what type of workout do you like? Do you run through with a taekwondo player or fighter? I guess is the right word.
2: Yeah, so for them, it's a lot of like lower body power plyometric stuff um for that type of athlete too they do and this is this goes for a lot of those like kind of olympic type sports you could mm-hmm. say um they do just a super high volume of training so with them it's a lot of and this goes for all, most sports to some degree but a lot of that like injury prevention joint stability all that kind of stuff so that they can hand their body can kind of handle the load of training right. um, even for something like baseball it's strengthening up the knees, hips, back, shoulder, all that stuff, so that they can handle the volume of training, the volume of throwing, the volume of hitting they're going to need to do. Right. And uh, like everything else that
0: comes from the lower half. Right. for Everyone listening out
1: there. Movement starting the hips.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We just did a video today and uh, loosening up the hips with a foam roll.
1: Yep. It's
0: it's the best way possible. Lower half, uh, 10 out of 10 times. Take us back. Five years ago, we were were in a garage, we were young, (laughs) aspiring, you know. So I was –
2: my kind of, like, route through strength and conditioning, I started doing it when I was an undergrad in college at University of Delaware. I worked with their strength and conditioning program. The second I did that, I'm like, this is what I want to do. Like, this is it. I know what I want to do now. Um, when I got out of there, I started work uh, interning with Fairleigh Dickinson University in Madison. Um, and then I started working with Seton Hall interning there. Both of those programs, I was able to work with a baseball team, which was really nice. So you're a Coach um, or- What? Coach Shep? Yeah. Yes. How do you like him? He was awesome, actually. Guy, yeah. He was very good, actually, from a strength and conditioning point of view, because he was one of those coaches that like was awesome to work with, because you just he just got it. Yeah. Where he his kids were there three days a week, seven a.m. might have been six a.m. I honestly don't remember, but um, like bright and early, he's right. in there for every training session, so the kids are like they know it's important because he's there, and they're gonna good. kind of put in their best effort because he knows he's like present, watching everyone. Right. Um, he's also a your I don't know if he kept it up, but he was a certified strength and conditioning specialist. He had his certification. Um, so, again, even having that kind of, he's not doing it day to day, but having that like baseline knowledge as a coach right. is super beneficial for us because he kind of speaks the same language um, and he kind of like can translate to us what he needs out of athletes. Um, better than somebody who's not as educated on the topic
0: and now for an example if you and i started to throw off the question
1: here but if you were dealing with
0: someone of that nature where they didn't know what they were talking about they really Mm. didn't know the the ins and outs like you would get my guys stronger how would how would you break it down where would you assess where would you start
2: uh you mean speaking to like a coach
0: right right so you know what i'm saying like if he just he like he just goes to you and say hey just get my guys stronger Mm -hmm. where would you start with the team to get them to get meet the goal the broad goal yeah area. so i
2: mean for it, and it, uh, this honestly depends on the level mm-hmm. colleges college athletes are one thing versus a high school athlete who maybe it's their first time ever in a training environment um but it, you always kind of want to start with kind of general movement quality make sure all the athletes can move efficiently through kind of basic movements kind of squatting mm-hmm. lunging pressing all those basic movements uh can they run can they change direction um all those things. How do they control their body? What's their coordination like? Um, building up that kind of athletic base is always important, and then you can move on to more sport-specific things as you go. Right. Yeah.
0: yeah. That's. I think that's that's like you said. That's one thing that <clears throat> sort of gets mishandled when it when it when it. Um, becomes a coach and a coach tries to do them himself because he thinks he knows or he thinks he studied, which is fine. Like, there's nothing, I'm not trying to knock anybody, but you know, you do this nine to five every day. Like, you've mm-hmm. seen different ways, you've seen people move differently, you know, everyone moves differently. Like, you give someone a program. Player A, player B, player C may be able to do that, but D, E, F may need something else, right? So mm-hmm. there's different things um, I think that coaches need to tap into when it comes to certain weights and, and, right. and conditioning. And it's
1: it's kind of the way I try to start my lessons, especially mm-hmm. with new guys, is see what they can actually do. You know, you have to evaluate mm-hmm. that first. And and the big priority for me, with the younger guys especially, is just learn how to move your body, man. Right. You know, you gotta you got to get those basics down. Um, don't try to do too much when you can't. And, and take it one step at a time
2: right. I awesome. mean one of the big things we hammer too is that like it, it's almost to a certain degree, especially with a less experienced less uh, younger athlete mm-hmm. um, the what they're doing like their specifics of the program sometimes is a little bit less important and it's more important just getting the coaching and the feedback that they actually need right so like I with younger athletes it's we always err on the age of or on the side of keep things as simple as possible and just like coach them up as much as possible, like giving them the most feedback we can get, um, get them to kind of move as best as possible, even if they're not doing anything too fancy. Um, once they kind of get that, you can always just build on that. So mm-hmm. it's always like start something simple, build on it from there.
1: Yeah, my favorite is always trying to teach the younger kids how to squat yeah. or do a hip hinge or something like that yeah. where they're just like, I, but I can just go down to the floor.
2: Yeah. But you can't. <laughs> <laughs> so. yeah, my, like one of my athletes that I've worked with previously – Um, He was actually a wrestler, um, was at the time one of my favorite athletes to work with. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, at a younger age, we kind of started with him in like middle school, and he was kind of a total spaz, could barely (laughs) sit still for two seconds, was always running around the room. If you got like half hour work with him in an hour session, you were lucky. Um, When he was, I believe, eighth grade, Mm -hmm. going into, before he was going into high school, He broke his shoulder in a match, and it was like the last match of the season, like middle school states or whatever, Mm -hmm. Um, and he kind of got really down on it, but it actually kind of turned out to be the best thing that could have happened to him, because he almost like realized, hey, I I need to like refocus on this, this is something like, I can't wrestle now, this is something I actually care about, Um, and part of the thing was he, the only thing he could do was train, he couldn't wrestle, so... He was training with me three days a week. We were doing as much as we could. He was in a sling the entire time, so we really got to focus on the lower half, mm-hmm. um, and we actually cleaned up a lot of his movement mechanics. Like right. he went from like kind of all over the place when he was doing a basic squat mm-hmm. to very clean technique. And then kind of like once we got him out of it, we could push him as much as we could with the sling. But once mm-hmm. we got him out of it, we could like really start pump, pushing the weights and all that stuff. And he made a lot of progress really quickly just from being forced to almost slow things down, clean things up, mm-hmm. and then the progress kind of took off real quick after that.
1: Right. right. Yeah. It's it's kind of important for, you know, even parents to understand too when their kids are, you know, learning all this stuff for the first time where if they are in there for about an hour and they might not see a lot of work being done or mm-hmm. getting done, um, that it is that challenge of, of really trying to hammer home those, those important techniques and everything like that and to essentially trust the process of it, mm-hmm. you know, if you trust us, if you trust you, whatever whoever it is, if you trust that coach to get the job done, um, understand that you know it it might take that whole hour to get one movement even started, mm-hmm. um, or or one simple thing, and I think that's important too to understand from a from a parent perspective mm-hmm. or, you know, even the players too. Um, I mean, one of my tr- one of my
2: favorite like training topics to like read about, listen to other people talk about, and stuff. Is just the like long-term developmental model of athletics. So like, how do you approach like developing an athlete throughout his athletic career? Because there's there's different points in the train in their development that you want to emphasize different aspects. Um, so like at first, it's always just participation. Get them playing the sport. Get them enjoying the sport. Mm-hmm. If they're not going to like it right off the bat, like they're not going to put in the effort to become no. good at it. Right. Um, so like that's always step one. And then it's like. After that, it's just like learning to play the game effectively. Like, okay, like learning the ins and outs to the games, all, all that type of stuff. Right, yeah. um, and then you're kind of, after that, you need to kind of learn how to effectively practice. So like, how do you actually get better at the skills that are going to make you successful? After that, it's kind of like learning how to compete. Like, okay, a competition might not be the kind of emphasis. Like, you're not worried about winning yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but now you're actually getting into a more competitive environment. You've already kind of built your basic skill set um and then after that is like when competition actually starts a lot of times kids at a younger age get it kind of flipped like Mm -hmm. their parents are worried about them winning right now whereas if you kind of take a slower approach and just hey we're just worried about getting good kind of reps in a game good reps in practice early on even if they're not winning awards or whatever early on they're gonna be better off in the long
1: run yeah it's something that actually that um excuse me uh Marcus has talked about upstairs the owner of in the zone um that you know we've briefly touched on in this you know sense of Little League not being such a big thing in the baseball world anymore. Uh, everybody's pushing travel programs and club teams and everything like that. And now I mean we are a club team, so we do obviously want to push our own program. Um,
0: I think in the but, sense of though, like numbers are definitely down for Little League baseball, and that's just across the world. Mm-hmm. The only thing keeping it together, and this is the god honest truth, is the little league World Series that happens in August every year. Probably, because you're probably right, it's yeah. it's a little league, it's a little league baseball event. So mm-hmm. if you play mm-hmm. Cal Ripken, Babe Ruth, you're not you technically can't play. Right. But um, and you also have to go through a rec season with your little league. So mm-hmm. I think having that too is definitely helping, still helping the
1: little leagues. Right, and and from the, the viewpoint of literally being that basis where you first get that introduction into mm-hmm. the sport of, you know, let's go out, let's have fun, let's play baseball. Right. Um, that's the fun side of it. And then progressing from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of kids aren't seeing that as much anymore. And they are kind of going straight to that club program, which is why we tell a lot of people, like, you know, if you don't have club experience yet, um, or if you don't have any baseball experience yet, I should say, at nine years old, maybe don't go right to a club team right. maybe try to play some rec ball right. first um it's like
0: when like when li- little weightlifters go to the little gym at <laughs> two years old yeah yeah with their moms <laughs> i'm we'll like go
2: go run around first. go go run
1: <laughs> around gotta, in the parking lot go run around go,
2: pl- go play some games go do something yeah. fun you can always get to that eventually yeah. Yeah. Find, your feet. Um, find your feet
0: so you're now working with the Seton hall baseball team or seaton
2: hall athletics
0: <laughs> <laughs> what comes next?
2: Uh, so after that, I started working at another private facility um, that was in uh, Madison, New Jersey. I was only there for about a year. But, no free um, shout-outs, so don't shout them out. Yeah. <laughs> was, I, I honestly don't even think they exist anymore. Um, or they moved around, or they were all over the place. But um, we were there for a year. I, the person I was working for at the time there was the actual the one who brought me over and started Precision Sports Performance when I was there um she has since left but um which has left room for me to kind of take over right. um but so uh, what was i gonna say the, we were there for about a year um part of the reason why we started psp was that we wanted to be able to take more of a kind of like athlete-centered approach the, la- the previous place we were at had a lot of limitations like space limitations mm-hmm. um just to kind of like we w- we didn't have the time facility resources whatever to be able to do the things we wanted to do with our athletes Mm -hmm. like we we felt like we were kind of limiting training there um we didn't kind of and it was kind of like get them in get them out rather than like kind of taking the time giving them more of attention so that was a big thing that we wanted to do with our when we opened PSP like it was one of those things where like okay we're going to take a shot we want to be able to do this right not not just based off of like whether the business model works or not like Training comes first. We'll try to make the business side of it work after that. Based, uh, but the, like the foundation of the training doesn't doesn't change. Um, so again, that's we came out. We started PSP about five years ago. Um, uh, what's it called? And I mean, we kind of been running since. I mean, with the only real hiccup of COVID happening, where we were shut down, we were open, we were outdoors only, we were back indoors with limited stuff. Right now, we're kind of back to rolling um, and just trying to build back to where we were pre-COVID. Right.
0: Um, yeah. A, a lot of, uh, how was it during COVID? I know a lot of gyms and they did a lot of stuff outside because they had the space, like I told mm-hmm. you, when I was at Lifetime, they, were, they moved, pretty much moved everything outside yeah. because they could. <laughs> but somewhere like a PSP, like, were, did you, were you doing more group stuff? Were you doing more class?
2: Yeah, I mean, so like COVID had like, a different like sections to it, right. at least in my mind. We had the first wave where it was like, we were completely shut down. So, That was like nobody was coming in. We did some virtual stuff. We did some virtual one-on-ones. We were putting out like periodic workouts. We did some like online platform stuff for teams where they had workouts. They submitted workouts online to their coaches. Um, It it was just, yeah, Yeah. it was like a little bit of everything we were doing at that time. Um, Then we got the okay to open outdoors. Um, Our outdoor space was kind of all right. It was kind of like parking lot space, not Mm -hmm. great, but we were able to kind of like move a lot of our stuff outside. We basically had most of the stuff stored right there so they could go grab stuff when they needed it. Um, then we were like able to do partial indoor stuff. I think we were like allowed to have a certain amount of people inside. 25% right, yeah. Yeah, which again, for us, was fortunate because we have a very large facility. Mm-hmm. We usually deal with smaller numbers. So 25% is like more than we usually have at any given time. So once we got that okay, we were basically back to like our full capacity. Essentially yeah. normal, mm-hmm. yeah. Because yeah. again, we have the luxury of a lot of space. We're not like usually packing the house on it either um yeah so after that and then it was just a process of slowly getting people back in um a lot of people were again it was weird times people were hesitant to come back in Mm -hmm. Uh, understandable um, most people once they kind of like got back in like okay it's it's a big space there's a lot of people we're we're being smart about keeping people spread out and all that stuff um most people came back and they're like all right we're good
0: yeah Yeah, and it took a little while but before the mask even came off at a gym
2: yeah you know, yeah, was,
0: know, for a long time, I remember, almost a year and a half, I remember working out with a mask.
2: I always say the joke was, like, when we first had people inside working out the mask, they're always like, oh, I'm so tired. Like, the mask is yeah, yeah, killing yeah. me. I'm like, I don't think it's the mask. I think it's just because you haven't been doing anything right. for five or six months. <laughs> right. like, and you probably how, got, on got on sick. <laughs> <laughs> and you probably got
0: sick and you got a little winded. Um. So so tell us the importance of now adding physical therapy to the PSP name. How how does that, uh, you know, had an impact
2: on yeah. the Yeah, I mean, so... When we opened, it was always the model of we were going to have physical therapy paired with training. Mm-hmm. Um, they kind of go hand in hand. Uh, we previously had like an outside company uh, running the physical therapy. We had a good relationship with them. They ended up like kind of selling their locations and shutting down. So we were we were kind of looking around for another physical therapy clinic to kind of take over. Um, and at one point, our owners were just our other owners were just like, hey, like, why don't we just do it ourselves? Um, which is nice because it, it's a better working relationship, like literally everyone is on the same team. Um, we have a good relationship between the two with our athletes. Um, one of the ways we approach the the kind of split between the two, um, when we have our athletes come in for the first time, one of the things they do is an athletic evaluation with us. So that's all your fun, like, sports performance testing, vertical jump, broad jump, um, pro agility, 10-yard sprint, um, all that stuff. So we can get – that gives us a good idea of where the athlete's at so that when we do start training, we know what's going to be appropriate for them, what, what they can handle. Right. That's kind of how we build the program from there. Along with that, we also have them do the functional movement screen with our PTs. So mm-hmm. that's great to have because the PTs have a different expertise. They're they're much better at picking out stuff that could be potentially risk factors for injuries down the road. Um, the FMS, if you're not familiar with it, works looks at a lot of stuff like mobility, flexibility, coordination... Um, balance a lot of stuff with uh, s- symmetry. Like, mm-hmm. are you uh, different with your flexibility right versus left? Is your strength right versus left unbalanced? Mm-hmm. All that stuff. Um, baseball being one sport that is very heavily unilateral. Sure. You throw with one side, you swing with one side repetitively over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a sport that's very at risk for having building imbalances. Again, flexibility, strength, coordination, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the things you always want to try to manage with your training, um so that you don't overdevelop one side which is going to kind of throw you off balance yeah. right yeah so that's
0: that's fucking that's
2: great
1: um yeah i mean the the balance thing has always been something that i struggled with a little bit as an mm-hmm. athlete myself um i remember back in college it was uh you know imperative that i continued to build up the left side of my body as a yeah. right-handed pitcher um so you know i always remember my my left uh arm being a lot weaker shoulder chest everything mm-hmm. um just trying to get those dumbbell presses up was like <laughs> i'd be fine for for 10 on the right side but when it started getting eight nine ten on the left i'm like come on come on come on I gotta finish it <laughs> but um yeah. but yeah no it's it's, I mean, it's I, crazy how I much i still got it.
2: terrible imbalances in my shoulder just from growing <laughs> up playing baseball like yeah, how, I many played did, played? how many sports you play uh, So, kind of, I grew up playing baseball, basketball, a mm-hmm. uh, little bit of soccer in there, too. Mm-hmm. Um, high school, I played basketball, football, only one year of baseball, because it kind of, like, for me, it kind of, like, I was a good athlete. I wasn't doing the, like, um, all-year-round baseball stuff too much, and it kind of, like, skill level progressed past me, so that kind of fell by the wayside, right. but... It had enough of an impact to mess up my shoulder's yep. flexibility. <laughs> <laughs> now, but, like, with that balance side, too, like, when I was playing football, this kind of like an aside, but when I was playing football, I was also, like, a kicker for football. Uh-huh. I went to a couple clinics for here and there, too, for it, and, like, one of the best pieces of advice I got was one of the coaches there is, like, whenever you're done practice, always go take at least 10 to 15 kicks with your left foot, even <laughs> if they're terrible, even if you're just going through the motions, like, do, do it on a regular it. basis because – you do so many with the right side, you're gonna overdevelop it. Even if you're never ever gonna do it with your left side, just going through the motions and doing it is gonna help kind of balance you out a little bit.
0: You know they say the kicker is the most fit
2: person on the football field. Uh, I feel like that's fifty-fifty. What you, what's your t- what's your take Sometimes on that? I've seen kickers that are in great shape, and I've seen kickers that are not. Yeah, but they,
0: like <laughs> in most cases, like yeah, the old, like like a Zerline and a Mason Crosby, but like a, the new young kickers are the most fit.
2: Well, though, that's the thing, the too. Like, they are seeing it as like a, it's a very specific skill set, right. mm-hmm. so, and they don't have to put a lot of time into other things so that they can very focus their training towards one right. thing. Right. Right. Um, so, again, they get really good at that. They don't have to put in as much time at multiple different skills, which other positions do, mm-hmm. um, so that they can devote more time, whether it's in the weight room, on the field, um, one of the things about kickers in general, and like this kind of goes towards like pitch count in baseball mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. um, kickers almost have a kick, kick count as well. Really, like they can only do so many. Um, one of my friends who was uh, a little bit younger than me played football in high school with me. Um, he also played football I- at University of Delaware for a couple of years, um, but he went to Delaware as a linebacker. But he was also a very good kicker in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, Because of injuries, he actually got an opportunity to kick at Delaware. Mm -hmm. Um, He never actually kicked in a game, but at one point, both their kickers were injured. Um, He went to kick for the coach, and the coach, not knowing how to approach it, had him kick like 30, 40 kicks or something like right in around Just Uh all kickoffs, kicking him as deep as he can. Um, And he was like kind of never the same after that. It was just like he overdid it. Same thing as like throwing 200 pitches in a game. Mm You got to kind of manage that workload, otherwise it's going to wear out. So. They got a limited kick count. They're gonna devote a lot of time to weight room training and stuff like that because it's like something else productive they're gonna do, right? Besides just continually beating up on themselves. All right, mm-hmm.
1: right.
0: Absolutely. Well, I didn't. I did not know that there was a kick count.
1: Yeah, I didn't know that either. <laughs>
0: because I constantly see them on the sideline just whipping their legs back and forth and hitting as many footballs as they possibly <laughs> can to the net. So I was like,
2: this is all they do. I didn't know there was. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's one of those things too. Like you take a like they'll take a kick. They'll take five minutes right. break in between um they're not just lining up and firing them if they do they're <laughs> done in a half hour right right because right. um, the thing you're going full force on it mm-hmm. most like every single time you only can do that so many times yeah
0: right. right and yeah, like you said the reason i asked you what you know how many sports you played in high or back in the day i don't know if you played <laughs> high school or however far you played but it leads me to my next question and you've seen tons of athletes you they they ran through psp and they ran out and I, you know, one thing I love about PSPV when you first walk in, you know, this there's just all those pictures of all the af- pretty much all the athletes, the college they play, and there's just different sports: football, basketball, f- baseball, mm-hmm. volleyball, yep. and, and there's everything. Figure so skating. That's like the be- that's that's <laughs> the best decoration you could ever have like at a facility like yours. But no, um, multi-sport athletes, mm-hmm. yay or nay. I've seen and I've even been a part of a program where the coach is like, yeah, if you play another sport, you're not going to play baseball. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't mm-hmm. come out because you're not going to make the team type of thing.
2: Yeah. I mean, a multi-sport athlete is the kind of like best athlete you can have. I um, mean, the, the kind of thought process of like, if you play another sport, like, I don't want you. I want you devoting all your time to it. Um, it's kind of a, it's weird because it used to be like way back where everyone wants multi-sport athletes. Then there was this kind of trend of like, I want specialized athletes. Um, we're getting, thankfully, getting back to where coaches do want you playing multiple sports. Um, more and more coaches are kind of getting educated on it. Because, um, again, like the the wear and tear on your body from doing the same movements over and mm-hmm. over and over again, um, especially, again, something like baseball. If you're a pitcher, you do one, basically one movement with some variation in it mm-hmm. um, based on like pitches you're throwing and all that you're going to wear out those movement patterns very quickly. So you, do you, what sport you think goes hand-in-hand with baseball? Uh, I always tell people, like, having something that's, like, the opposite of that sport you play fast is, going, is very, pace. yeah, like, take something, like, even, like, soccer. Right. A lot of, mo- like, lateral movement, you're mm-hmm. constantly moving versus, like, one play, stop, one play, stop. Um, because I always say it builds resiliency. Like, doing the movements that are not specific to your sport Um builds a more resilient athlete they're more able to cope with uh kind of deviation in what they do if you pitch and all you do is pitch you're really good at that one specific movement if anything goes wrong uh i mean just say you like have to make a weird play to get a field of ground ball or something you're more likely to injure yourself move weird twist something just fall down and yep. be unathletic. Yep.
1: And Jeremy, as you know, baseball is the king of that happening. It's, <laughs> it's always the ball finds whoever's not ready. It, yeah. it always happens where you have to do something you've probably never done before yeah. on the you ball wanna
2: field. You want to mess with a pitcher, bunt it right at him. Yep. <laughs> Pretty
1: much. Get yep. him out of
0: his rhythm. Yeah. And he was a pitcher, so I, okay. <laughs> I don't want to come out here and say pitchers
2: aren't athletes.
0: Well, oh, come on now. <laughs> we're the best.
2: I always say, though, for, for pitchers, the one thing they do is that pitchers are like the only – or the main position, and uh, besides catchers, that need like it significant endurance training because mm-hmm. like, besides a pitcher, the fielders, it's like they got one play, they got a lot of time in between one play, they got a lot of time in between. They're... Pitchers have to be on the mound for an extended period of time, for the entire game. Yes, they get a couple days in between, but. They're the ones that like where endurance and building up the like endurance in your lower half is the most important, aside from catchers. One of
1: the actually going along with that, um, obviously, you know, you see pitchers doing a lot of running all the time Mm -hmm. and stuff like that, but I've noticed that in the league now, in the MLB, you see a lot more big pitchers, Mm -hmm. like guys that are built, um, like uh, Chapman for one. Huh? Araldas Chapman, Aroldis Chapman yeah. has, looks like an absolute tank now. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You know, just, um, there's a lot of Michael Lorenzen. I mean, Michael Lorenzen like, has been a has been a big one now. That's
2: baseball is one of the biggest selling points for just strength and conditioning in general mm-hmm. because, and unfortunately, because of the like doping problems they've had previously, mm-hmm. if it didn't work, if it didn't help, why would they do it? Right. And I'm like, so getting stronger makes you better. You can just take the approach of training rather than doping or something like that. Like right. it's, it's almost the biggest advertisement for mm-hmm. training works. It's going to make you a better hitter, better pitcher, whatever right. it is.
1: Not because you can see the ball better or whatever that yeah. may be, but, you know, you have to have that resilience. Yeah. There's, um, I
2: mean, it's not going to be the one thing. I was telling oh, people yeah, if, like, no, training and strength and conditioning, it's like this is going to be, like, one section of what makes you a better athlete. Mm-hmm. There's I almost the like skill, there's the talent, there's all that. And right. the thing I love the most about baseball, I mean, you see in
0: football a little bit, You know, but I love how you can have different size. Yeah, baseball players mm-hmm. yeah. you know we could, you could have you could be 5-5 five, five and hit an absolute bomb or you could mm-hmm. be you know 6-8 and not be like that's what i love yeah. about that's what i love about the, the nicheness of the sport and mm-hmm. how niche it is and to that aspect and we mm-hmm. see it here and here with football and, and running backs yeah. and wide right. receivers and stuff like yeah. that but but baseball to me is the true one of the only sports where you can have someone who's 5-5 five, five and still hit 300 right with, you know 30 mm-hmm. home runs and someone who's 6-8 and do the same exact thing yeah. Why do you think this? Is like, is it, is it that's just endurance, or do you see the ball like?
2: it's just freak. I think athletes. it's always there's a, there's like that mix between physical capability and skill. Right. So like, if you're not as physically gifted and you're a little bit more skilled, like your mm-hmm. your swing is just much cleaner and right. much faster. Um, you make up for a little bit of physical strength or power right. differences. Right. Whereas you might not be as talented of a hitter, but if you're just big, strong, powerful. You don't need to hit it perfectly to hit it out. Is
0: right. there such thing as too big in baseball?
2: I mean, not that I think of. Uh, th- that That has been like, a, again, that was like a, the, you could say, like 80s, 70s. Right. Um, a thought process that, hey, if you get like, the term was muscle bound at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, if you get too muscle bound, you're going to like... Not be able to move well. You're going to be unathletic. You're going to be inflexible. Um, Risk of injury. I I I want to pause right
1: there. I did mention the foam roller at the beginning of this podcast. Yes. Was
0: foam roller even invented in 1980?
2: Uh, I don't think foam. They were using foam, but there there was some version of myofascial. It was like like the general term. Yeah. Like I mean, massage is the oldest version of that. um, and then people didn't have somebody around to massage them, so they had to get creative and figure something out. Well, now you we have like something like a TheraGun. Now. Yeah, we like just... there's a million like TheraGun foam rollers, lacrosse ball, massage sticks, tennis like ball, yeah. tennis ball, yeah, yeah. all many, that stuff's uh, good.
0: How many TheraGuns you got in the spot?
2: Uh, we actually had one. Somebody, the person who actually had it left. Is it, we um, actually don't have any at the moment. Oh, we got we gotta help out there. We got, we'll get Marcus on it.
0: Um, <laughs> what, are, what, are, what's your thought process behind the therapy? I like even
2: though. Like, I kind of like that we don't because all of our athletes would just be like sitting, yeah, rolling yeah, 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 it. Yeah, I would rather moving. force them to roll out. Right. Oh, you also have physical <laughs> yeah. therapy there too. Yeah, yeah no, and like I would rather force them to work out, yeah, yeah. Uh, roll out, rather than using the therapy. If we let them have that, like our athletes have that, they would just sit there for twenty minutes there is and a, not want to do anything. There
1: is a, uh, a mindset kind of of. Not getting lazy, but just yeah. getting comfortable with just. Well, actually,
2: when I was it. at Delaware, one of the kids I interned with was on the baseball team as a pitcher, mm-hmm. um, and this was before massage guns even got big. Right. Um, so like 2012, they what they would actually use they had a car buffer, <laughs> and it oh, just really? like it's a disc that just goes back and forth. Yep. And yep. they would just use it basically mostly for like behind the scap and all that stuff. Um, they get like the legs too, but like that was the first version of it. And I've the kid, seen like a
1: sawzall. <laughs> yes, that, with an well, the sawzall
2: is basically the same thing. You just had yeah, exactly. a different attachment. Yep. No, but the kid like would use it all the time when he was at the in the weight room. Mm-hmm. And he actually got one of them one from himself for road trips. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, God, I love this thing. It's great for my scaps. I feel I feel great. My shoulder feels good after I use it. Yep. Oh,
0: man. We, we know we know we got a session here in a little bit, but real quick, if you can, give us your three. Give me give me one stretch, one lift, and one conditioning um, workout that would be best for baseball players.
2: Uh, so stretch like my for stretches. I'm always like before you do before you do anything for baseball. After you do it, um, one of the biggest ones you get is like tightness in the pecs. Um, part of that comes from poor posture just throughout the day, especially if you're dealing with school age kids. They're at desk throughout most of the day. Um, that rounded posture tightens up that pec muscle which rounds the shoulder forward leads to a lot of like bicep tendonitis shoulder impingement all that bad stuff everything just gets out of place so Mm -hmm. constantly trying to open that up better and i usually like to pair that with some sort of pulling scap activation exercise Mm -hmm. i have a couple baseball softball athletes i tell them it's the simplest thing in the world put like a some sort of band in your bag uh, before you practice play whatever do some sort of pec stretch, some sort of chest stretch, and then do some sort of band scap activation exercise. You do those two things every day. It'll make a huge difference just with the, like, longevity Mm -hmm. um, and just reducing any risks of injuries. So that's for stretches. As far as, like, performance, I think, like, we kind of mentioned before, but, like, learning how to squat appropriately Mm -hmm. and then just taking it simply of slow and consistently progressing the difficulty of it. Um, That's going to give you the most uh, as far as, like, Hitting, throwing, like you were saying, all of it comes from the lower half. Right. Build up that lower half as best you can, and the squat is a kind of simple enough movement everyone can get. But it is like it hits all the boxes of like perfor- sport performance. Power. It's ground based. It's, mm-hmm. it's uh, multi joint. You're moving your ankles, knees, hips, all that stuff. Um, it has kind of a dynamic movement aspect to it, as well as a stability aspect to it. You have, say, a weight on your back. You're holding a weight or something like that you need to stabilize your abdominals, your low back, your upper back as well, while you're going through the movement. Um, so again, it hits, it checks a lot of boxes for a very simple movement. Yeah.
0: And
2: best conditioning. Where we go. Conditioning. I'm a huge fan of, uh, kind of interval training. So more, less so of, if you're trying to like work overall conditioning, instead of going out and running five miles, you're probably better off doing something like a repeated sprint. So right. like, I love hill sprints just because mm-hmm. it adds a little level of difficulty. It's better on your joints, all that. They're awful. They're terrible. They, they're brutal.
1: <laughs> you haven't seen the hill outside. Yeah.
2: But having some sort of, like, work-rest ratio of, like, hey, I sprint hard for five seconds. I rest for 10, 15 seconds. I sprint hard for five seconds, 10 to 15 seconds. And the idea of trying to keep that sprint as fast as possible every single time. Right. Um, and preventing First. that drop off. Yeah, so, again, like you're, you're a pitcher, mm-hmm. you need to throw hard and then you got to do it again. Right. And again. Yep. and again. It doesn't matter if you can throw 200 miles per hour twice. You need to be able to throw whatever your speed you're throwing consistently. Absolutely.
1: Um, uh, believe me, the amount of sprints that I used to do, <laughs> yeah. uh, I think coach shoeing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, thanks yeah. a lot.
2: <laughs> I yeah. I mean, showing. there is a time and place for like kind of like distance running and stuff, but I'm always thinking the that high intensity type interval type training is going to be way more transferable to your sport, especially because again, you pitch, you have a few seconds in between you pitch, you have a few seconds in between. So Mm -hmm. it is teaching not only your body to be explosive over and over again, even when it's fatigued. Mm -hmm. um, It's also teaching it to recover quicker for the next thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Sports like football, where you do one play, you have a break, do one play, you have a break for them running distance consistently. They're never just running consistently. Right. Um, They're, performing as hard as they can, and then the rest. So, again, it's a different type of conditioning, so your conditioning should try to, as best you can, somewhat match the sport you're
0: playing. I had someone tell me that those suicides, or whatever they're called now,
2: are dumb. It depends. I mean, some people think it's like, again, it should somewhat match your sport, and I like to just tell people the simplest way to figure that out is, like, what's the work-to-rest ratio of your sport? Right. If you have a high if you're working for a long period of time, that should be about the time your conditioning is for. If you're working for a very short period of time, like football, the average play length is something like seven seconds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then you have about 30 seconds in between. All right. So work for seven seconds as hard as you can, maybe round it up to 10 for a longer play rest for 30 seconds. Can you do that? How many plays are there? 30. Can you do 30? Can you do that 30 times? Mm -hmm. Um, say for pitching. All right. You're working for, three seconds let's round it up to five right um and then you could you got to rest for 15 seconds all right that's your work rest ratio so find the one that kind of matches your sport mm-hmm. and that's that's kind of where you want to be working at i like that um, yeah, that's good. so if you're saying suicide suicide might take 30 seconds but you're never actually working for 30 seconds consistently at a high level so right. that might be a little too much you might even just be better off doing down and back all right um, and then doing it more often, maybe with less rest in between, mm-hmm. um, something like that.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I, actually, I actually really like that. That's really
1: good. Yeah, That's of right. course. It's, well, it's all about that matching. <laughs>
0: 100% matching the sport that you play, making sure that what you're doing, there's a purpose behind it, but again, the right purpose. You're doing it for yeah. the right reasons, um, not just going out and running for an hour around the block because just to run. That's You're not doing that to help the sport that you play. We all have lessons, we all have sessions to get through. Andrew Andrew Moore, I appreciate you coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. Folks, as always, if you ever have any questions, comments, concerns, you just want to get at us, you can always reach us via email at diamondtalkshow at gmail.com. Again, diamondtalkshow at gmail.com. If you have any questions for Andrew Moore, any workouts you want to, you know, help you on, let us know. Reach out to the show and we'll be sure to help you out. Andrew, thank you, and stay tuned for next week, guys. Thanks for having me.